0: while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, we ask for your blessing upon it as we hear it and receive it. O Lord, might it speak into our lives, might it speak into our hearts. And Father, as we hear it received through us, might we sense your voice speaking to us as well. In your Son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I am sincerely amused and interested in our most precious possessions. I think it's interesting what they tell and communicate about us. And you may not realize it, but we all have cherished and sacred possessions. It's that spot on the couch that you might already be thinking about right now, or that chair in the corner that's yours and Nobody better sit there if you were in the room. It's those things that as you move from your living room, perhaps you walk by those pictures and you think about the pictures on your wall and the faces of your family members that you know and that you remember and that you cherish. You know where those people have been. You know their stories and the times you've shared with them. You move perhaps into your bedroom and you open up your jewelry box or your nightstand and there are heirlooms family valuables that have been passed down from you. They were your grandparents, your great parents. They were your parents. They were yours at a sacred time. What's fun and interesting about our cherished possessions is when we come back to them again and again and again, they enrich us. They renew us. They remind us that we aren't just people of today, but we belong to something far greater. We belong to a family, to a heritage, to a tradition, that cares for us, that's developed us and nurtured us. Well, as we think about, for me as a pastor, this chapter in Scripture is one of my most cherished possessions. I've come back to it year in and year out. When I was a child, when I was a young man living in Ohio, when I was in college in Indiana, throughout all of my career, I've kept coming back to this chapter again and again and again because it's renewed me. It's reminded me of who I am, of my calling. It's reminded me of my frustrations with the world, and also it's reminded me of the hope that God has given through the proclamation of His Word. And so this week I've really struggled because I've wanted to preach a sermon this day that wouldn't just declare the teaching of the Scripture, but might also enrich you and encourage you to see how in this text... The Holy Spirit is working even today, drawing men like myself, or as he's worked through the ages, drawing men and women of all times to bring them and enrich them and and, uh, inform them about the realities of the world in which we live and the promises and evidence that God has given us that he is not alone. You see, here in this passage is the Christian hope. In all its beauty and all of its glory and all of its disappointments, and all its power. And it's been given here by Paul to Timothy, by the Holy Spirit, to us, to remind us of our calling in Christ Jesus. So this morning I'd like us to consider the subject of the Christian hope as presented in our passage. And I would like us to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and see particularly what is He teaching and communicating to us through this passage— I'll share with you the lessons that I have learned, not in story form, but in proposition form, as what I have seen in this chapter, how it unveils to us the Christian hope and how it shapes our own understanding as we consider ourselves in the world in which we live. Well, the first thing that we see communicated here in this passage as the Holy Spirit is speaking through it is that He is working in us to cultivate in us a disgust, for selfish gain and its associated vices and sins. In the opening part of chapter 3, Paul unveils the realities of the times between Christ's appearing, between his uh, ascension and between his return. Paul says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and holy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I don't think anywhere in written records is there a more succinct and fitting description of the times in which we find ourselves living in. People are profoundly selfish, profoundly self-absorbed, profoundly disinterested in anything beyond themselves. And the sad part is it's not just the reality of the world out there. We also find it present in our own attitudes, as we also are products of the world in which we live in. And as we hear the Spirit speaking through this passage, it's important for us to ask ourselves the very hard and real question, is this true of me? Or in what ways could this be true of me? The line in this passage that has most profoundly hit me again and again and again and again and again is these words here when he's talking about people having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Having that veneer or external presentation that they are godly, but really deep down inside they are empty, hollow, and void of the richness of the Spirit and of the truth of God. Is that true of us? It might be. It might be. But even if it is so right now, it doesn't have to be. Because neither the text nor the hope of the Holy Spirit ends in these verses. Paul continues. And he begins to lavish the promises and the truths of God's Word upon his spiritual son, Timothy. And in these words, we start to see the contrast of Paul's own encouragement to Timothy be manifest. Two very simple words in verse 10. You, however, you, however, you stand in stark contrast, Timothy, to this character and nature that I have described of the world. You are different, and you're different because you've gone about imitating me in your life. You have striven to put an example of godliness before your own life, and your marks come out all well. In these eight categories that Paul says, he says, you have followed my teaching. You have followed my conduct. You have followed my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. And why have you done this? Well, in part, because you've been inspired by the Holy Spirit to follow after examples of righteousness, but also because you are the fruit of God working in the world. Paul himself at one time was not the spiritual giant that he is here at the end of his career when he's writing 2 Timothy. At one time, he was a persecutor of the church, hostile to the gospel, and hated, hated, hated Christians. But God had a plan for him. God had a purpose for him. Even the vilest offender who truly believes... God had a promise and a plan to use Paul as the great champion of the faith. And so he inspired him. He drew him to travel all throughout the Mediterranean world to encounter hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and to plant churches throughout the Mediterranean world so that one by one, individuals might come to and encounter communities that are individuals who are collectively and individually striving to become living examples of godliness. And this is the second thing that the Holy Spirit is striving to do in our lives in this passage. He is striving to inspire us to both follow and establish contagious examples of righteousness. Paul was for Timothy that contagious example whom he sought in every area of his life to mold his life around. But Paul also called Timothy to be a similar contagious example of righteousness. As he told him in, one of his early, in his earlier letter, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Don't make any excuses for yourself, Timothy, not one. But overcoming those excuses, set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. See, this is what the Church of Jesus Christ is called to be and gets to be. We get to be mutually inspiring and enriching examples of righteousness to one another. You looking for someone to look up to? Look around you, they're all around you. Are you looking for examples of God's own grace? Look around you, they're all around you. It's why we as a church are called not just to be a community that gathers one time a week, but who is involved so deeply in the fabric of one another's lives that we're rubbing off on one another. We engage in small groups. We engage in discipleship groups. We engage in Bible studies. We reach out to one another and invite one another in our homes or into the myriad of restaurants over here on the east side because we want one another to see each other's lives, to experience our own uh, strengths, weaknesses, and frailties that we might mutually inspire one another in godliness. And in mutually being inspired in godliness, we might all grow as a community of faith, reflecting the beauty and glory of Christ to the world around us and, more importantly, to the God who is looking upon us. Well, the third thing that the Holy Spirit will do in using this passage to form you in the Christian hope is He will use this passage, this text, to open your eyes to the wonders of His Word, and He will plant in you a yearning to be complete in His ways. Let's look back at our text again. Paul says to Timothy in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. See, the Holy Spirit had planted in Timothy, both circumstantially in the family that he grew up in and in the opportunities and encounters he had to experience the Scriptures, to be drawn to their teaching to yearn to understanding what the revelation of God is really all about. These sacred writings, this graphe that Paul is writing about, were for Timothy and for Paul himself the writings of Moses, of the Pentateuch, and the writings of the prophets, and the writings of that are called the writings. This Old Testament that we have now today were the Scriptures of Christ and the Scriptures of the Apostles. In them, they found the teaching of God that ultimately terminated in His redemptive work through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. They didn't view them simply as any literature or any books or something to be uh, ignored. They viewed them as the very inspired words of God. They saw in them that God had breathed out his word and message, that he had breathed into men to understand what God was doing and writing. And then he used the biblical authors to then create a written record of God's will, his work, his words, that all generations might encounter them and know the hope and the truth of who God is. And what is that hope? There is a God. He has a purpose. He has not neglected us in our frailty, in the evil and wickedness in the world around us. No, 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 no. far from it. But he has done something eternally, perfectly, and purely in redemption through Jesus Christ. These writings include not just the Old Testament, but what we call the New Testament, the writing of the apostles, whose writings were also preserved as a record of the witness of the church. And what do they do? They are breathed out by God. They are authoritative for us. They lead us into understanding all things that accord with truth and godliness. They are profitable for teaching. They instruct us. They're profitable for reproof. They tell us what's wrong in the world and in ourselves. They're profitable for correction. They turn us around and put us on the right path. They're profitable to train us, to equip us, to condition us in righteousness that we might become men of God, people of God, people whom God looks upon and sees, not sinners, but sees himself working in us and working on his behalf. He is using them to make us complete, lacking in nothing, and equipped for every good work. Do you find yourself incomplete in ways? Do you find yourself incomplete in godliness God has not left you alone or isolated. He has given you His Word, and in His Word you have the truth of everything that you need to accord with godliness. While the Holy Spirit is inspiring you to open up your eyes to the wonders of His Word, so also in this text He is working to evoke such a love in your life for Him that you will have no earthly priority over Him including your own life. One of the hardest verses in this entire chapter comes when he says that, earlier in our passage, I apologize, I've lost my place, that um, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Persecuted. If you stand for Christ in this world you're going to face resistance. Sometimes it's going to be from yourself, sometimes it's going to be from those around you. Sometimes it's going to be in such great intensity intensity and animosity that you will be pierced to yourself and not know what to do. In those moments, will you reach out beyond yourself and strive for godliness? The pro- promise throughout scripture from Christ to the apostles is that if you are faithful to Christ, you're going to face resistance. It's going to come in a myriad of ways. But when that resistance comes, it will do something for you. It will reveal to you powerfully, immediately, and succinctly what is most important to you, what is ultimate to you. It will show you your God. And you'll be forced, perhaps even in a split second, to determine what is most ultimately important to me. Is it myself? Is it something else? Or is it faithfulness to God? And in those moments, I pray that in whatever level or capacity that, you, that they may come, that you will strive for righteousness. If the Holy Spirit is working in your life, you will see these things. You will see these moments. And when the time comes, pray that you will face persecution rightly. Well, as we look at these texts, we see a bevy and abundance of promises given to us. Perhaps you respond and say, John, I see some of that but I don't see it perfectly in me yet. And that's good news because you see in yourself the need for a Savior. You see in yourself that you are not a completed project, that your end is not here, and you see in yourself the need also for growth. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, make the most of every opportunity today on Sundays throughout the week to grow in the promises of God's Word. They are there for you That you might not be empty, incomplete, or distraught, but that you might be whole, that you might be so filled with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ that no weapon fashioned against you will stand. Oh sure, it may mean that we take our life, that we lose our life, but to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. I would rather spend one day in eternity with God than a thousand here on earth. May it be for all of us that we press on this week in the glory of God's Word, that we find the hope of the Holy Spirit enriching our lives through his text, in drawing us to one another, that this community might continue to be a light and a witness of the good news of Jesus Christ here in Austin. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are good to us. You are so good to us. So, Lord, continue in your goodness to us this day, Do not leave us as we depart this morning. Continue to strengthen us in Your Word. And Father, continue to conform Your promises to us, that as we study and engage Your Word in one another, we might find ourselves being made more and more complete every single day. In the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.